It's Celtics coverage on CLNSRadio.com. Right now and share your thoughts toll free three four seven two one five seven 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 one. Hello and welcome to the Celtics Post Game Show. It's Bobby Manning. Here for Celtics Pacers post game, streaming live across Blog Talk Radio. No Periscope tonight, but you can also hear us at three four seven two one five seven 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 one. If you call in, if you're driving, if you're no, you're not just listening. Celtics beat Pacers in this one one fourteen to one eleven, and this was safe from most of the third into the fourth. And once again, the Celtics put themselves in the situation they have for a week and a half now. Five straight games they came into this one. Utah, the unsuccessful comeback aside, they had gone to overtime with Houston. Offense completely fell apart into that overtime period, in the second half at least. And they go and play the Nets, build a, I think that was an 18-point lead that they had in that game, and completely lose it down the Offense falls apart, can't get the ball in bounds, foul on the last possession that leaks into Sunday, where it's only just the turnover on inbounds that caught that game. Celtics had in hand, eight seconds left, I believe, turnover in the game. So we head to this one. Head to about the four minute mark, 102, 106. Edward turnover to an Oladipo hanging jump shot. Celtics had just led by 11. DeWarren got a tip in the go, and I said, here we go. It's down 11. The time left. Stevens gets the starters in right after that. 5.45 to go. So Warren gets that tip in. Oladipo makes the floating jump shot. Oladipo makes a three. Around the screen after the Celtics turn it over, and just like that, the 102.96. And I'm looking at it with 4.22 to go and saying, all right, this is. I had a feeling the Pacers had one more run in them. I mean, this is a very good, well poised team that stuck around throughout this game on those Sabonis hard hits to the middle. Oladipo was hitting great shots all game. This is his best game by far since he returned from the injury. So Tatum gets a little dunk to go in the lane. He had an awesome performance in this one. That was one of the key buckets down the stretch that stopped the Pacers from just running away with this one. Because Oladipo comes right back, hits a reverse layup, hits a three around the screen after Smart tries a left-hander that just airballed. Stevens gets a good timeout. Hayward just misses a three. And at this point, I'm saying, like, where's the offensive ingenuity? Because Hayward shot that ball about, like, five seconds into the shot clock. Still, 313 to go. Way too much time. Pacers get it inside and out through Sabonis. That's Sabonis' eighth assist that ties the game. So here we go, three minutes left, and the Pacers had already tied the game. Walker misses a little step back. Kemba Walker was really rough in this one. 2.30 to go. And at this point, I'm thinking, all right, the Pacers might just run away with this game because the comeback's already done with time in the time in the bag. And the shot coincide. And one is good. They go up three. Tatum gets blocked inside by Turner as a bonus. And I thought the game was over at that point. But Oladipo, as great as he was, pulls up from half court. Bails the Celtics defense out. They'd given up six straight baskets at that point. There's 153 to go. I forget who dumped it inside, but Hayward just happened to flip it right back out to Daniel Tice who was completely uncovered, had about five seconds to set himself and shoot. And in those situations, he's been deadly this year. He gets the key basket of the game. Hayward makes the key assist. And Hayward was sensational in this one. Another great performance for the Celtics and a massive bounce-back game. Oladipo had a couple free throws. 
Tatum gets a driving dunk to go. He hits 30, and then the Pacers swing one out to Turner. So I thought the Pacers really bailed out the Celtics' defense down the stretch. They come up big the next two ones, completely swarm Oladipo on another three-point attempt around the screen. He pulls up and misses that one. seconds ago. Smart hit a pair of free throws. Walker, it's prepared before so that opened up uh, the Pacers to have a shot at a three with about seven seconds left and Pacers decided to go for the two instead and it cost them. Marcus Smart, who had the game-winning shot in this one after the Tice three, he gets the two free throws to go. It was Aaron Holiday, not TJ Warren, who had the last second shot. Another great defensive rotation by the Celtics. Uh, gets them the ball. They try to follow smart, but the clock had run out as the refs confirmed. So a great, great closing stretch for the Celtics after a disastrous middle portion of the fourth quarter. Defense steps up. And what's great about this is this is the situation they couldn't handle the entire week before. So I am uh, actually going to make an executive decision here because I see Nick Facento on the line. I see Jack Michael, my co-host on the line. Jack, welcome aboard. I got my recap done there, and I don't know how you felt about that closing stretch, but I thought with like one minute to go there when the Pacers took the lead that they were going to run away with this one, and I thought the Celtics responded extremely well. And Gordon Hayward, he was getting blamed for an empty performance against the Thunder. Well, I thought he had a similarly impactful performance both in the box score and in the result of this game. And I thought the tip-out he had to Tice was the play of the game. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, like you, I was kind of sweating a little bit more in the fourth quarter than I would have liked. It looked like Sunday um, all over again. Yeah, it was. Um, I was not. Uh, <laughs> you know, the, the, I was watching the Pacers feed, and they kept saying, you know, well, the the Celtics did. They were up by however many against the Nets. They were up by however many against the Jazz, and they gave them up in recent days. And I was like, yeah, but yeah. I kept on thinking to myself, there's no way they can give this one up, right? And uh, Unfortunately, I was uh, proven wrong, but not 100% proven wrong. There was still, you know, obviously some hope left in the game. So, like I said, sweating a little bit, but I agree. The the, the Hayward play to Tice, definitely enormous. Um, I think as a whole, Daniel Tice really, really played well in the fourth quarter and, and in the whole game. I mean, he's just been really amazing this past, you know, this rough stretch, but I think in this past stretch, he's still kind of just been his his reliable self, I guess. He's been extremely reliable. And you, you talk about a guy scoring 20 points pretty much every single game that he's been out there and healthy. He's 27, 10, and 5 in this one, a couple steals, a block. He's been extremely consistent in the box score. And I even looked at his percentage on those open shots he he hit a big shot down the stretch against the thunder on a kick out three he was better in those situations than he thought I thought he was because I gave him a little bit of blame after the Rockets game a week or two ago now I, I thought he missed some key open looks in the corner on that one but he's been good in those situations he's been consistent like you said and the injuries are hitting him here or there now he's got the sore knee he's had the sore foot all year those things are going to happen and the injury bug is something that the Celtics look like they aren't going to be able to avoid this year. When he's out there, yeah. he's performing. And I'll tell you, Jack, I really got to turn the friggin' radio off because there's people on the radio who just want to see this guy walk for nothing. Like, how, how, <laughs> explain it to me, please, how you have a guy who's scoring 20 points every single night and you think he can just go out and find that like nothing. Never mind the fact that the Celtics actually can't use the money if he leaves which is like the first one, but say they could. Is there anyone even approaching Hayward's level who could walk in the door right now? I mean, no, I haven't, I mean, looked really hard at the free agent class for this season. I mean, I think it's like Blake Griffin or, or, you know, players of that. I think it's DeMar DeRozan, Andre Drummond, and, you know, Hayward would be one of the big fish if he went out there. So I think people got to be careful what they wish for. Oh, absolutely. I mean, he can, you know, even with the kind of rough stretch that he's had in the middle of the season, like he would still definitely get a max contract, at least I think, or close to it, you know, even something sort of like a Horford type deal. Um, 
where maybe it's fewer years, but it's going to be in that high money range. And I mean, that could be enticing if a team like, you know, even in, I don't know what the cap situation is, but a team like an Indiana offers them money or, or, or really any other team, you know, and the Celtics kind of get cold feet, you know, because of, like you said, the radio guys. So it, it, it could be interesting. I'm hoping, you know, that, that connection to Brad Stevens holds up and he, he does obviously decide to stay, but, yeah, I, I I've been a defender of Gordon Hayward this year, and I really do think that it would be a mistake to to kind of let him walk, um, especially after you know he's shown us at the beginning of the season and in kind of recent days how how good he really can be. Yeah, and I think tonight was an example of how he can take over a potential series against this team. This would be a great matchup for him. He played well against Indy last year in the first round. I know Victor Oladipo wasn't there, and he would drastically shift what a series looks like between these two teams. But today, BPI on ESPN said this is a 37% chance that the Celtics are going to see the Pacers in the first round. And it's certainly starting to look that way, depending on how Indy and Philly flip-flop at five and six that the Celtics are going to be three and they'll be playing that six team. I, I go back and forth on this a little bit. I have enormous amount of respect for the Pacers as an organization. They're pretty stingy, but they get great talent and they're consistent. They're in the playoffs every single year. And you don't talk about them too much because there's nothing captivating about them. They don't look like a team that can rise to a championship level, uh, barring something drastic happening there, but they're not going to sink or tank or be out of a series either. So it's really the perfect first round opponent if you just want to see the Celtics get on to round two and go from there. Other hand, Philly, we all know it's a bad matchup, the one and three record this year. I mean, you're the king of Philly stinks, uh, <laughs> of the Philly stinks train. And I don't, care, I don't care what you think about them. Like, I think they're a mess mentally and all that stuff too, but they'd be a challenge for the team personnel-wise, and I almost want to see the Celtics get challenged a little bit in the first round, maybe go down 1-0, 2-0 like they did to Chicago that year, and have a wake-up call, because right now we're seeing the Celtics needed this wake-up call this past week. It showed in the result today, and I, I would yeah. almost want to see them woken up a little bit round one, So because nothing's going to get easier. Like a, a round two series against Toronto without home court, and then, of course, the Bucks in round three is just going to be a monster of a, a road to get through to get to the finals. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I, I think my track record on the show has stated, you know, um, I, I really want to kind of be in that two to three range. Um, preferably two. Two is going to be tough at this point. Yeah. We're three games back of the Raptors. Um, I think we play them what once more, if I'm not mistaken, but yeah, I think it's in the next week. Yeah. So, you know, being in that two to three range, like I said, obviously the two is the ideal, but three is acceptable. You know, you kind of want to just avoid Milwaukee as long as possible. And, and being in that kind of heat pacers bracket, um, or excuse me, being outside of that heat pacers bracket as well. And being more inside of that, like the nets or, you know, God forbid the 76ers. But, you know, I, I think I'd rather have, you know, if if I could pick and choose seeding, I'd rather have the Pacers be the sixth seed. I'd rather see them in the playoffs than uh than the Seventy Sixers. I mean, like you said, they they are a mess mentally. The Sixers are, but you know, I I'm a big believer in just a lot of the times the talent does overcome. Um, and with with that Sixer team, like they they definitely do have a lot of talent. So it it is it is a tough kind of decision, but you know, ultimately I do I do hope you know. I, or I say, I, not hope, I would rather play the uh, Pacers in the first round or the second round, or in the playoffs. Yeah, that, the ideal situation would definitely be two against Brooklyn and then move on to the second round, which I think, yeah, you'd, two with three, the Celtics would avoid round two against the Bucks. So it doesn't really mm-hmm. matter there. It's just a situation of whether you'd want to be home against the Raptors or not. And they, the Celtics have had enormous struggles over the years playing up in Toronto that have continued this yeah. year. Uh, Chris, Christmas was – oh, Christmas was in Toronto, but the Raptors didn't have anybody. So they ended up beating them there. But back in Boston, they ended up taking a game where they were undermanned again. And that group just has wings galore. They play a ton of different defenses. The coaching sensational. This is the year that the Celtics inevitably are going to run into them, right? Because every single year, like the last five years that the Raptors have been good, the Celtics have found a way to avoid them. And this year, it doesn't look like that's going to happen. And again, they need a test. 
it's going to be extremely difficult to even get to see the Bucks, and we're starting to see things boil down to where Boston's not going to catch a break here, it doesn't look like. Right now they're lined up against Philly round one. That tough, tough series against Toronto would be round two, and then the Bucks round three. And I think, you know, Stevens is almost starting to realize that a little bit. He's been running the bench units with Tatum, with uh, Kemba and Hayward were leading that unit against the Thunder on Sunday. And I, I see the way Stevens is managing this team right now. He sees the health. He sees the road they're up against. He knows that they just got to test them in these situations. They, they got to be able to play with some of the bench guys out there because they're going to need at least one of them come playoff time. And there's a ton of other stuff I see out there, whether it be semi Ojale's minutes that he's gotten over the last couple of weeks. Like he's just testing this, knowing it could put them a little further back now and making sure they're ready for that situation. I mean, even Robert Williams, he doesn't get minutes in this one, but over the weekend, big run for him, trying to see what he has there. It almost feels like Stevens, up until tonight, was sacrificing a little bit of the present for what they'll need in the future. Yeah, I mean, you know, some of the lineups have been obviously, you know, more out of necessity due to injury, you know, obviously Jalen Brown and, and a bunch of the yeah, other definitely. recent injuries that we've had. Um, so, to, like, to me, sometimes it gets a little clunky. Um, I've had issues in the past with, with Brad kind of, you know, sticking with his rotations um, when there have been injuries and not kind of playing X guy more, Y guy more, this guy more, whatever. Um, but I think in this case, I, I kind of like what he's doing, like what you said, with, with kind of plugging some of these guys in who haven't gotten run in a while um, or might not have gotten too much run together and, and kind of just seeing how it works um, in these games. And, I mean, obviously with, with mixed results in the win-loss column, but, you know, hopefully, you know, this, this is the time where these, these players, you know, getting them in the game now pays those long-term dividends, you know, over the course of the season, the playoffs, and even into next season. I should have made this more clear when I made the initial point, but it was the Jazz game that said it in um, specifically because if you remember, Semi played more than Tatum in that game. Everyone was just like, huh? And Brad's like, all right, we've we got to manage Tatum's minutes a little bit here. So that stuck out to me. It's like, all right, is Tatum dealing with something here? Does Brad start to see, like, the health situation on the team? He really doesn't want to push this all that much. So that even that is – forward-looking a little bit, even at the expense of the present. Because in a game like Friday, he could have pushed Tatum 40 minutes, Mm -hmm. leaned all in on him stealing that game, and he decided not to. So it's a tough balance right now where I think even he must know the higher they get in the standings, the better odds they're going to have of a longer run. But this team is very, very ill-equipped at this moment to sustain an injury. So they first can't sustain that injury. So that means managing minutes and everything else that goes with that. And they need to find a bench guy. So I, I see them leaning in on Williams over the week. And I see the minutes that Ojale is getting and it's driving people crazy, even Wanamaker. But Brad's got to do the best he can to get those guys ready. And it hasn't worked so far, but if he just keeps feeding those guys, maybe they're able to be in a better position come April to play in the playoffs. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you said it like this team is not exactly, uh, you know, <laughs> in in a position to sustain another injury, whether that be, you know, to a bench guy or or a main guy, you know, God forbid. Um, but and you said it too with 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 Jason Tatum. I think I saw a stat, and don't quote me on this, but I think you know he's something like second in minutes over the past stretch since the All Star break, or, or even first in minutes. Um, I know, obviously, he had a string of amazing games, and he's been playing very, very well over the stretch. But, you know, playing well comes with high counting stats, and high counting stats usually come with a high number of minutes as well. So, you know, that's definitely something, like you said, to keep an eye on, um, you know, as as the season kind of winds down here. We do see that seeding shake up. Um, you know, do you want Jason Tatum playing this amount of minutes over the rest of the season, you know, especially as as you see the seeding shake up and, and you say you get a little more – I guess, strategic with it. Maybe, you know, you lose a game here or there, um, sacrifice some Jason Tatum minutes to get into a better bracket in the playoffs. So it's definitely something to keep an eye on. It's definitely something that, you know, I'm sure Brad Stevens is cognizant of, or at least I hope he's cognizant of. (laughs) Yeah, and he he went back on that a little bit in this one. Uh, Leaned more on Cantor than Williams. That was a matchup thing, I I suppose, too, here. And he, he still doesn't look all that great. 
Lankford uh-huh. a plus in this game, but still 0-4. He's given them nothing offensively. Even defensively getting beat on the back cut early in the game. I'm still not the biggest Lankford guy. I don't see him being part of the playoff rotation. Wanamaker, I mean, deservingly killed after Friday. Not the greatest game here either. 102 in 20 ah. minutes. Ojale inefficient in this one. They're trying, man. Like, they are trying every combination that they can, like pushing different starters in with that bench group. They've given Tremont Waters some run this season. There's just there's nothing they can do about that group. And I don't think that group hurt them all that much in this one. Brad definitely mm-hmm. tightened it up to those starters for 30-plus minutes. Hayward goes 36, Tatum 35. And that definitely had an impact on a result in a one-possession game. So this is ultimately what they're probably going to have to do come playoff time. What you're looking at with the rotation tonight is probably what it's going to look like come playoff time. So good on Brad for tightening things up a little bit in this one. Definitely surprising to see Grant with two minutes. Again, matchups, I think, in this one. Where are you on the bench, Jack? Because people have been losing their minds about the fact that they have a main (laughs) addition there. And, uh, you know, Keith, is, I've talked to Keith a little bit about this, and he says, you know, you could have gotten Bielitsa, you could have gotten Bertans, but, like, are those guys going to be able to defend all that well? So, yeah, you get a little bit of more offense, but you're losing a ton on defense with those guys. I would have liked to have seen them consolidate the picks if they could have, and who knows what they actually threw out there behind the scenes. For all we know, Ainge put all the picks out there, and it just wasn't appeasing to anyone. Um, but it was interesting to hear Daryl Morey on, well, his podcast say, you know, when you're close to win at all, you just dump the picks. Do you think this bench is going to come back to kill them playoff time, or do you think it's going to be like tonight where they just really tighten it up and take them out of the game? I mean, yeah, I've been, I was, you know, I was always a strong proponent of kind of not making a quote-unquote like panic move, um, something where it's like you give up you know, a bunch of picks or, or a guy like, especially even last year when people were clamoring to trade for like Tyreek Evans and a, for Marcus Smart and a pick. Um, was that was last that year? Ago? Oh, Sorry. that feels forever ago now. <laughs> I don't know if that was last year or two years ago. I really don't remember, honestly. So, <laughs> And Evans um, but, is banned you know, from the league now, right? <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So, but, but this year, especially too, like I was not definitely not a fan of, of kind of, you know, making that move for, for a guy like, Third times, I think I would have been fine with a guy like Bielitsa. I would have been fine with, and honestly, I can't really remember a bunch of the names that people were throwing out for. Oh, it was like you know those those um, Gordon Hayward for Bradley Beal sort of deals. As much as I like, yeah, and that one was never happening. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. So it's it's just Bielitsa and Bertans felt unrealistic on their own. I mean, that one was never mm -hmm. happening. If they were going to do anything. Like, I don't even – they were never training Hayward, so that talk was just ridiculous. Like, yeah. it really just would have been consolidating a ton of bench guys to find a middle-level um, player. And honestly, that's something you probably look back at summer and second-guess them on. Because, you know what, I really separated Bane as they did. Or traded, like, Wanamaker, Ojolay, and maybe one other piece. And looking back on it, that's really the second guess. Not the deadline, but trading pains. I mean, we saw him rain down. What, what, did he have nine threes last week? Did he have nine <laughs> yeah. threes in that game? Yeah. <laughs> like, and So, like, Ainge and Stevens never could have seen that coming. But we knew on the surface that Baines was the starting center on this team. They had no clue what Tice was going to provide them, and thank the Lord that he has been great this year. But if you have Tice mm-hmm. and Baines, like, that's your bench scoring right there. I, I trust Baines to stay healthy, and he has more all season than Cantor has. And, unfortunately, Cantor just looks like he's going to be a non-factor the rest of the year. So that's the second guess. I don't know I don't know what they would have done at the deadline. Yeah, I mean, it's like – it's that. And then it's also, you know, if you have a guy like Baines or even if you have a, a Bielitsa or a Bertans type, you know, you, you get to kind of phase Cantor out of the rotation a bit. Maybe you get Grant Williams a little more run in, in, in areas where, you know, you don't necessarily have to lean on him as, as a closing guy, you know, which they have done and it, it's had mixed success. But, you know, I've been a proponent of kind of phasing out Cantor totally and, and, and giving Grant Williams his minutes, you know, just to kind of get him that run against those bigger guys, a guy like Miles Turner, DeMontis Sabonis maybe, 
you know, because it, it, in the playoffs, when, when teams are just going to go at Ennis Cantor on every single possession and they're going to get us, you know, against the Pacers, they're going to run a pick and roll with, you know, Sabonis and Victor Oladipo every single possession that Cantor is on the floor to get that switch onto Cantor, you know, and, yeah. or uh, switch Cantor onto Oladipo, excuse me. And it's just going to be, it's just going to be kind of rough, you know? That's an to that second spot rotating behind ice because we've seen this a million times now the Cantor's really been struggling. The Celtics mm-hmm. get like an eight to ten point lead in the first, then they take Cantor in and it's gone and like yeah, it, it's a great example They have enough to have about like a ten point lead and then they put in Romeo and Cantor in the last minute of that first quarter and they went minus them like instantly and then the lead was down to three or whatever it was. Like that's really been rotation uh, up until Sunday. Yeah. No, they even did it Sunday and then they didn't play for the rest of the game. So they've been doing that consistently now for two, three weeks where they build a nice little lead at the start of the first, they roll mm-hmm. in Cantor in the bench unit and that's gone like in a minute or two. Yeah. And I mean, like I've always been a big Robin Grant guy in the, the two Williamses. So, I mean, I'm hoping that now that Rob is back, they kind of, you know, do do a nice job of kind of phasing him in a little bit, and and you know, like you said, like maybe not playing him in this game was sort of matchup related, but but maybe getting him in a game where he, on the face of it, might have a rough matchup just to get him that, just to get him that playing time, because at this point that's what he needs. You know, not necessarily from from a talent perspective, but to kind of get him back up to to NBA speed and to get him back up playing in those physical games against NBA players. Um, after being away for so long, after being off for so long, he got you know he has to get his win back up. He has to get everything back, back to where it was. So all right, so this is him. this is unprecedented, but Nick Sassetto is on the line. Nick, you here? What's going on, guys? Hey, Nick. So this is what I'm gonna do. <laughs> I have a ton, a ton of stuff to do, so I'm actually gonna leave you on the line with. Um, Jack, for the rest of the show here, if that's all right with you. Professional, boss, professional, always professional. <laughs> um, we've gotten into the bench. We've gotten into this game a little bit, so that's all on the table. If anyone wants to join Nick Sacento and Jack Michael for uh, the next 30 minutes, 347-215-7771 is the number to do so. And uh, I'll jump behind the glass as Sacento usually does here. Sounds good to me. So, yeah, uh, Jack Michael, there was something I wanted to tell you. I know you guys got deep into the weeds about who the Boston Celtics could have added, you know, at the trade deadline, possibly even could have added in the buyout market. But there was a game tonight, and I thought it was interesting that (laughs) that there seems to be a formula with this team that kind of leads me to question who exactly is the guy with the killer instinct in crunch time or when you start seeing these big leads like they've had in these past several games. I mean, they had a big lead against Oklahoma City the other night. Uh, who is the guy with the killer instinct to either, you know, pull these games out, and they did it tonight, obviously. They they, they won this one. But to stop the bleeding, and it just seems like it doesn't happen. But what I do see is almost scripted in that you see the the players that, you, you know, and I'm waiting for one of them to, to step up. But you see the players basically re- revert to this ISO ball down the stretch, or just taking deep shots early in the in the in the shot clock. And I think that neither one of those things are conducive to pulling games out like this one. I mean, they it, it happened to work uh, in this particular game, and you guys are absolutely right. And the one time that they didn't take an ISO, you know, wind it up and you know, run it at the hoop, and if you get stopped, you know, take a difficult, you know, fade away, like Jason Tatum did in the Oklahoma City Thunder game. But uh, when they did have a good moment, it was when Gordon Hayward kicked that ball out to Daniel Tice, easily the play of the game, uh, followed up by Marcus Smart hitting a completely just wild uh, layup there in the paint that was probably, I think, through contact, in my opinion. It was a no-call. But I think that's easily the, the runner-up for play of the game for the Boston Celtics, especially down the stretch. But it just seems too often to me, maybe you've noticed this, maybe I'm wrong, maybe it's just something that I have, you know, that, that I seem to notice and nobody else does. But it, it's it's almost like we've seen this story before. Tonight, the Boston Celtics happened to pull this game out. And I generally tend to agree and have thought in passing uh, that 
what Bobby said on the air, that, you know, it's increasingly looking like the Boston Celtics are not going to catch up with the Toronto Raptors for that number two seed. It would take an inordinate amount of uh, exertion from players that he's uh, – uh, clearly been trying to, uh, you know, keep on minutes restriction, load manage, as they call it nowadays, uh, that he's probably just, as as Bobby said, trying a whole bunch of uh, different combinations. But I think that unless there's a reason that Robert Williams uh, isn't out there playing, if it, maybe that, you know, that contusion in his hip is out there, I agree with you that Robert Williams uh, should probably be getting more of those minutes. I think he has more to offer. And given that there not bringing anybody else in there, and I don't know if he, if it's even possible at this point or what the, what the – I mean, I, you wouldn't even throw the kid out in a playoff situation. But there's only one other person on the bench that we haven't seen and one of the potential person on the bench that's in the organization that we haven't seen that I feel can make an immediate impact, even in these late, you know, season situations. And I know they're trying to tune up for the playoffs, but if you're doing load management on all of these guys – Maybe throw Taco Fall in there for five or ten minutes. He's the only player that has an immediate known impact on games uh, on on the on the Celtic could potentially be on the Celtics bench that's already within the Celtics organization. He's the only guy. And Vincent Poirier is playing down in Maine anyway. Why not just swap them out? You, feel, you have that roster spot. Anyways, I know that's a lot of things, but I was listening to you guys' uh, conversation, and that's basically just my observations based on the previous half an hour of conversation between Bobby Manning and. You, my friend, Jack Michael. <laughs> I mean, yeah, so I'll, I'll kind of focus in on one, on one piece there, which is kind of the stagnation of the offense when, when other teams do make those runs. And I do agree with you on that. It does kind of seem that, you know, if it, another team goes on a run, they, they do kind of just force some shots up or, 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 or take some, you know, silly shots or, or shots that necessarily don't come in the flow of the offense. And I think, I, you know, I, I do think you're right, like I said. Um, I have, I've noticed the same thing. I especially noticed it tonight. You know, I think Indiana went on like a 21 to three run or something along those lines. I don't remember the exact numbers, but you know, I'm sure it is that bad, but um, it's, it's, They're about it's just, yeah, it's, it's in that, in that ballpark. Um, so like, and, 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 and it does seem to happen on a, on a semi-regular basis, you know, where, where guys just on the Celtics, you know, when the other team goes on a run, this, that's just what happens. It's, it's, it's the offense kind of stops or it stagnates or, or, and I mean, that's kind of the definition of another team going on a run, you know, obviously, you know, the other team playing harder factors into that. The other team kind of focusing in on defense plays into that, but, but at the end of the day, you still do kind of kind of hit shots. You know, that's, that's the point of, of, of playing the game at the end of the day. So it, it is interesting. It is something to keep an eye on, you know, as we try to get these pieces of, of, of players who, you know, haven't really played in a while back in the game, back in the offense, um, seeing how that affects possibly the offense, seeing if having, you know, Jalen Brown in instead of Brad Wanamaker tonight or seeing having Jalen Brown in instead of Kemba Walker tonight or having Jalen Brown in instead of, you know, player X, player Y, how that would affect 21 offense, minutes of Shemi Ojeleg. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. So it's like it's 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 how you know it's it's how the the things that you can't change really uh, how that would have affected the whole the team as a whole, and it's 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 tough to gauge. But I do I do tend to agree with you on that one. Yeah, I'm I'm just not a fan. I just see it over and over again, especially when it comes down to these you know close situations. And there there have obviously been you know situations and you know previously in the season, early in the season where uh, they were able to close out the games. But that seems to be. I don't know. Maybe I'm now I'm, I'm hallucinating other things, but it just seems to be that's been a, a recurring criticism, maybe of uh, Brad Stevens' teams. I I think that maybe they didn't have that problem with uh, Isaiah Thomas, and maybe it's not Brad Stevens' fault at all, but maybe the personnel just getting adjusted because I think that you know the Isaiah Thomas years were the years where they you know they would come back and they'd win those games, the improbable games. They were the improbable team, you know. But uh, just these past few seasons, it seems that I, and I just keep thinking that. And I don't know why. I mean, I, I love Jason Tatum's ISO game when they're in the, you know, second, third, you know, fourth quarter. I don't like, uh, you know, Jason Tatum getting, uh, who was it in, in Oklahoma City, Chris, you know, Chris Paul on the on the block, you know what I'm saying, uh, backing him down to the basket on the on the post, and then, you know, taking a fadeaway outside the paint, I, you know, that, that falls, you know, well short of anything of a respectable, <laughs> respectable jump shot. I just don't, I just don't understand why the Brad Stevens offense is – 
uh, is founded so heavily upon ball movement, making the extra pass to get the better shot, because there's always, you know, a better shot out there until you until it's in your hands and you know it's there, you get that shot. Why that's the, the game plan for, let's say, you know, 40 minutes, 42 minutes. And then the other six minutes, it's like, well, we're just going to have Kemba Walker or Jason Tatum or Gordon Hayward pull it back and then, you know, do his wind-up and then slowly steamroll himself down into the basket. Why, 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 they, why do they, you know, do that and get away from passing the ball and making that extra pass that leads to such, you know, th- those good shots that Brad Stevens, especially in his you know, earlier years, now now there's expectations, but back when he was impressing us as the, as the new NBA coach, that he was so good for, for manufacturing. I just don't understand why they get away from that. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and, and I think part of it has to do with, obviously, like you said, personnel and, and things along those lines. And also, you know, I don't know. It is it is a tough question, and and you know, without kind of being in the locker room, I don't know if I can if I can give a satisfying enough answer to that, <laughs> if that makes sense. Yeah. Who, who who do you think it should be? I mean, given now, I agree with you completely. I, me personally, I think Jalen Brown is the one guy that's the most difficult to replace on this team uh, in terms of being. I mean, we're talking about a twenty point per game scorer now. You know what I'm saying? It's mm-hmm. not like we're we're talking about you know. A, a guy that you know comes off the bench like you know Eric Bledsoe or something. We're not we're not talking about some like scoring, but we're talking about you know an integral part of the of the team. But you know nobody you know all that you know irreplaceable. We're talking about Jalen Brown. I mean this guy averages twenty points a game, and I think he's probably our most uh, consistent. You know what I mean? Offensively and defensively, two-way player that, that, that this team has. And I, I, I love what Jason Tatum's done. He's improved his defense this year as much as he's improved his finishing at the rim. But uh, yeah, I think maybe having you know Jalen Jalen out there, uh, you you know you can suffer through a you know what did what, what did what did uh, Walker finish with in this game? Eleven points, and you're seeing Marcus Smart showing the ability to score you know double figures. Um, who do you, I mean? I just immediately went to Jalen Brown. I apologize for that because he's the guy that I like on this team mm-hmm. that I think is is consistently the most irreplaceable player on the team. Does that mean that he's the best player at any given moment? Maybe not, but I, I'm a big fan of Jalen Brown. Who do you think should be the guy if they're gonna? You know, should they just keep rotating it in and out and in and out because that's what it seems. Everybody gets their you know turn to 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 play the ISO ball down the stretch in crunch time when the score is tight. Uh, do you think they should stick with one guy, or is there a guy that you you know that you that you like particularly? If, if they're gonna have a guy, uh, you'd let you prefer it to be that guy, Kemba, Jason, Gordon, all of them. I mean, yeah, I, it, it's kind of it's kind of a cop out answer, and it's kind of a a, a a coward's answer. But but I think it really is whoever kind of has that hot hand. I mean, you know, it's it's not so much necessarily like running a play for a guy specifically, but like running the offense and having a flow in an offense, like it, it, that's going to facilitate, you know, the guy with the hot hand. Like the pl- players playing the game know, like, okay, Jason Tatum has 37 points tonight. Obviously not tonight, but, you know, I'm just, you know, hypothetical here. But, like, you know, Jason Tatum has 37 points tonight. Okay, I'm going to get him the ball because he's been carrying our offense for the entire game in ISO situations and call plays, et cetera. You know, so so if it's a situation along those lines, you know, obviously in a game like tonight where you saw Jason Tatum and Gordon Hayward kind of get wherever they wanted on the floor and hit whatever kind of shots they wanted, you know, those are the two guys that you'd, that you'd kind of go to, whether it's a drawn-up play or whether it's kind of off a rebound scrambling and, and, and bringing it up and, and kind of just having to do something with the offense. Um, I don't think it's, you know, and, and also like a game like today where Kemba was obviously struggling scored only 11 points um you're obviously not gonna you know want to play for him in a game like tonight but it's 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 like I said it's really up to kind of who's been playing that well um and it's 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 difficult to gauge a lot of the time just because it is so tough with with the amount of talent that this team has kind of you know for these end of game situations no, I, I understand that. I think that, that that's the logical answer for – I mean, sure, it's a coward's answer because it didn't provide me with anything other than you know, a, a neutral response, which, you know, basically would be my position as well. It's, it's hard to say you have to give the ball to this guy. That, that's, that, to me, is 
old school basketball. Maybe not old school, but that's the the previous generation of basketball. Maybe with certain teams you would do that. Although I don't think even a couple of years ago with the Golden State Warriors that you know Clay, Clay Thompson passes up you know a, 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 a last second shot or a, you know a buzzer beater or a clutch shot uh, when he has the hot hand because you know Steph Curry is the MVP. I, I, you know that that's more you know old style. You know this is the the the, the known stuff. That's the way you know. I don't even know if you could. Re- I, I would say, yeah, that's the way you, the, the the Celtics, you know, seem to play it. You know, if they needed a three, it went to Ray. If they needed a, a you know, an ISO shot to, you know, to tie the game, sometimes even a three, you know, pull up three, it was Paul. You know what I mean? And then you know, Kevin Garnett was always the the, the solid foundation. But I mean, you you had the guys that were designated as, you know, the guys that were going to take that, you know, shot, and it just seems like. I don't know. Like, like you, these guys, maybe they haven't figured out, you know, who is supposed to, to to take those shots because it seems like a carousel almost of, you know, who, you know, just let's see who's going to take the next shot. And sometimes they, you know, they make it, but a lot of times when they get into that that style of ball, uh, they just uh, really don't. Um, I wanted to ask you also, and I mentioned it, you know, briefly when I first jumped on the air in place of Bobby. I didn't expect to come on here, so I didn't take any notes or have anything that, you know, resembled any type of coherence to what I was doing. Um, But what do you think the Celtics need to do about the rotation? Because getting, what was it, 10 points off the bench tonight, and that's what it looks like, five from Brad Wan and make a two from uh, Enos, as Kevin McHale pronounces it, Kanta, and three from uh, Shemi Ojale in all of his 21 minutes. I guess he can't, you know, reproduce uh, those Cleveland Cavaliers numbers. Uh, <laughs> but uh, what, 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 do, what, does this, what does this Celtic team do uh, to, to shore up his rotation? Does it do anything? I mean, are we I – because mean, – if if any type of injury happens, you have almost the cupboard is is really bare for who who's going to come in and actually do something. Do you see anybody outside of those main six guys? And that's you know uh, Jason Tatum, Gordon Hayward, uh, Kemba Walker, uh, Smart, Tice, and Brown. Do you see anybody outside of those six guys that you know that's going to be a you know part of the consistent rotation guys that you know that are actually going to contribute uh, come playoff time? I mean, I have my hopes, obviously, you know, I, I, I think, you know, I, I have my hopes for guys like Grant Williams. I have my hopes for guys like Romeo Langford. I have my hopes for guys like Robert Williams. Um, but unfortunately it's just that they're, they're kind of unproven at this point. You know, it's, 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 it's kind of the, the, the way that Danny Ainge built this team over the past couple of years, where it was kind of just, you know, you got your max guys, you know, you got your Kimball Walkers, you got your Kyrie Irvings, you got your Jason Tate, or not Jason Tate, excuse me, Gordon Haywards, and you got your Al Horfords, you know, your, your max money sort of players. And then you have your really good players on the rookie deals, which are Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum, and then up until a couple of years ago, Marcus Smart. And then other than that, you're kind of just filling out the roster with, you know, the exception guys, Dennis Cantor, Daniel Tice. Um, and then other rookies plugged in here and there, Semi Ojale, Grant Williams, Gershon Yabaselli for a time. So, so it kind of shows the, the other side of that, where it's, it's good when you have, you know, guys that work out or, or more of the exception sort of guys like, like, like Daniel Tice that work out. But when you have to put a lot of reliance on rookies and second-year guys, and they're not of the talent level of guys like Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown, it, it, it can kind of get a little more dicey. So, you know, I'm kind of going on a long-winded answer and, and getting off topic here, but to answer the question is – That's not know, possible like said, when I'm on the air. We don't do that when I'm on the air. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. But like, like I said, I have my hopes for guys like Gordon, uh, excuse me, for Romeo Langford and Grant Williams. I do think they're NBA players, um, and I do think that they can be very good NBA players. Um, it's just whether they're ready and I throw Robert Williams in that, in that group as well. It's just whether they're ready to actually contribute in a playoff environment against a really good team this year. Um, that's going to be what kind of differentiates the Celtics, if that makes sense. Man, I sure would love to see Robert Williams, like become a consistent, you know what I mean? Productive player for this roster. I, I think out of yeah. out of all those guys, I, I would rank them probably Robert Williams only only because he's he's been in the league for for longer and uh, and has shown you know improvement when he's been on the court. Now I don't know how much of that is you know really you know 
how how injury prone is he? I have no idea. Uh, you know, if if this is load management, if this is just why why didn't he play at all tonight? You know, in a game where he may have been you know useful. You know, I mean, it couldn't have been. I mean, not to, not to you know bash on Enos Cantor. He did a fantastic job. I think earlier in the season, he's just kind of as you know the the, the game is tightened up. You know, coming down the stretch and teams are you know vying for position um, in their respective you know uh, divisions and conferences, whatever. Uh, that you know he just had you know he's been he's been getting shredded on the defensive end and as much as he's you know contributed things like offensive rebounds and putbacks and those you know low post things uh, you got to have somebody behind Tice that has any type of size in, or, in length and athleticism and I, I think Rob Williams is that guy but if I had to pick somebody else. Um, yeah, I think I think you're you're probably right also about Grant Williams. I was going to say Romeo Langford because I think he's really shown flashes of being able to get to the to the basket, doing those kind of like baseline cuts the way uh, Avery Bradley used to do before he really had an offense. And I think Romeo Langford possibly has. You know, is it going to have to work that hard <laughs> to develop an offense the way Avery Bradley took years to develop any type of <laughs> offensive game? I mean, really years. His defense kept him in the league because otherwise, uh, Avery Bradley became a fine offensive player in the, at the end of the day. And I think. You know, it was has been for the longest time uh, very underrated. You know, as an all-around player, but uh, it took him years to get you know any type of semblance of an offensive game. I think Romeo Langford is naturally uh, more offensively inclined. Not not that he's anywhere near defensively, but they can contribute. Grant Williams is and is athletic. Grant Williams is the exact opposite. You know, he's he's undersized for his position. He's not the most athletic. He's I mean undersized in terms of height. Although he does have I I believe uh, significant. Uh, a wingspan, so that you know that saves guys that are that are shorter in terms of you know heel to 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 head you know height. Um, the wingspan, I mean, you don't block shots with your <laughs> with your head. You block shots with the tips of your fingers or the tip of your hand. So you know that helps him. But I mean, he doesn't get up in the same way. But he is. I, I've he just seems to be in better places that you know he seems to have a, a little bit better awareness if that makes any sense maybe you can disagree with my things he makes mistakes he's a young, he's still a young player and I think that's you know overall generally what we're what we're both trying to say in our own different ways is that expecting you know anything never mind too much from you know guys that are in their like you just said their rookie year their second year is you know a, a tall order um, I just don't know what else to buy because they they like I said ten points. That's just about enough. I know the, uh, the 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 Indiana Pacers only had what fourteen off their bench, eight from what is it? I don't know which holiday that is. It's like five of them in the NBA right now. But uh, <laughs> is that is that Drew now? Is that Drew? Does he play for the, the Pacers now, or is that the other J? I know there's a J and an A. I don't know yeah, which one plays. So um, yeah, the the Pacers they have Aaron who is starting because Malcolm Brogdon is injured, and then they have um, Justin who comes off the bench. Justin, okay, yeah. Has, He's been on seven NBA teams, despite me thinking I thought he was in the league for like three years. Yeah, <laughs> I, I guess anything is possible. Like, yeah, I, I I had no idea at all. So good, good for him, uh, collecting checks. <laughs> so <laughs> right, yeah. get paid. Yeah. Well, listen, but, yeah, uh, so I have well, you. You you really like I, I've listened to you you know before we've hosted shows before and I, and I know you really yeah. know your stuff so I have a question about um, the the buyout market is there still an opportunity for the Boston Celtics to get anybody like when does there when does the opportunity to sign somebody uh, for like a playoff roster spot like say for example my dream comes true and they cut Vinny Sex Pants and they actually <laughs> sign an actual NBA player to you know to fill out their roster has that time already passed because I don't know too much about the buyout market that's one thing that I'm not sure about. Uh, has the time already passed? And if it hasn't, is there anybody out there that you know of uh, that you'd like to see the Boston Celtics go after? I know they've just been talking maybe Evan Turner. I don't know if he's been bought out. I don't know if anybody else has signed him. Uh, I know there were a couple of other players. Uh, Lance Stevenson, speaking of playing Indiana, I think Indiana showed a little bit of interest in uh, bringing Lance Stevenson back if they didn't already. Uh, is there still an opportunity for the Boston Celtics to sign anybody uh, who – could it be, and would you, if 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 they could? Don't quote me on this. Um, I'm not sure the exact date. I know the deadline to sign a player for a playoff roster is sometime in March. Um, when that is exactly, like I said, not 100% sure, but I know it's it's often sometimes in March. Not often, sometimes. That would that's very contradictory. Often in March, almost always, from what I've seen in March. 
Um, as far as the actual players on the buyout market right now, I, I really couldn't tell you. Um, and that could mean one of two things. That could mean that I'm not really following who's on the buyout market, but it could also mean that there's no one on the buyout market that I think would be good for the Celtics. So, you know, take, take with that what you will. Um, <laughs> take from that what you will. But, but at least, you know, at least in the trade market, there was, you know, back in February, there seemed to be those two to three guys that, that you looked at from the Celtics perspective and you were like, oh, okay, that could work. Um, and, and that makes sense for the Celtics. But I think, I think as far as the buyout market right now, it just, it just doesn't seem like um, there's really anything out there for the Celtics um, unless, you know, maybe another guy gets cut, a couple guys get cut. Um, but even then it would, it would take, you know, some sort of, a, a big guy of, of kind of just that fits every need that the Celtics have. And I really don't, I really don't see, you know, a player that's going, that's not only going to get cut, but also that the Celtics would be able to get in the buyout market. Um, that fits, that fits all of those criteria sort of. So you're not, you're not a fan of maybe like a reunion with Evan Turner. Not that I think that's going to happen, but a player mm-hmm. like Evan Turner, you, you don't think that he provides, uh, anything to this Boston Celtics team that's better than, say, for example, uh, what Brad Wanamaker provides or what you know Enos Cantor provides to this team. I mean, like, not not that they play the same position, but that you know there there could be some type of benefit to having a, a player like that. Jamal Crawford, I think, is another name. I don't know. I don't know if Jamal Crawford went anywhere. You don't think there's anybody out there that would potentially help the Boston Celtics then? I don't think so. No. Um, I, as much of a big fan of Evan Turner as I am, um, some would argue one of his number one fans. I I don't know if if I'm allowed to make that argument, but I would selfishly make that argument. And what's one of his, one of his biggest fans, but um, I think I had a fight with you over that title, but yeah, (laughs) when he was in Boston, I was a big fan. Okay. Okay. So I'll give you that then. Um, But you know, just, just, to, to to kind of sign players to sign players um when you know you have players who do the same things already um kind of out on the margins out on the kind of the end of the bench the end of the roster um, i've never really been a big fan of that um just just for the you have a guy that does that already why you know take the roster spot when something else you know you'll never know what's going to happen in 10 days or in 11 days um you know whenever that deadline is and and it's just kind of like I don't want to say not worth it, um, but it's almost like you, you don't want to be sitting ten days from now and saying, "Oh, we could have gotten this player or that player." Or and also you always want to leave that roster spot open just in case something does happen. I don't know how the two-way contracts work. I'm not 100% sure on that, but you know from from what I understand, you don't need to leave a, a spot open for that. Uh, I could be, I would definitely be open to be corrected on this because, like I said, I don't know, but. You know, Danny Ainge has always been a guy that leaves that roster spot open until the end of the year or until, you know, absolutely necessary. And I don't think a guy like Evan Turner or a guy like Jamal Crawford is absolutely necessary um, for the Celtics right now. So so we're, given, I mean, given the, the fact that the Boston Celtics bench, and we'll, we'll, just, we'll wrap it up, I think, after this point, given the fact that the Boston Celtics bench is underperforming, um, obviously, obviously that will change. Uh, when Jalen Brown is back, when the team is fully healthy, that then you know returns uh, players like Marcus Smart to the bench, and you then uh-huh. obviously have in- improved bench play, and obviously then improved you know uh, uh, starting play as well, for, which then you know allows the bench you know less pressure to have to get things done and you know expands rotations and whatnot. Um, where do you see the Boston Celtics? Uh, finishing this season i mean i know this that's a very broad question but i mean do you do you think they can make a deep playoff run because they're, they're leading into this from you know uh fortifying the bench and i would like to add a player like you know whether it's an evan turner or jamal crawford somebody that i would expect to contribute you know if you if if, if that player can give the celtics you know six to eight points off the bench that's that's sure a whole lot better than what i'm looking at you know from the from you know most of the bench on any given night in the box score uh from the celtics but Given that you know, you don't believe the Celtics are going to add anybody just to add anybody, and that there would be so much riding on, you know, the the, the production of young, unproven talent like Rob Williams, Grant Williams, uh, and perhaps Romeo Langford if he makes you know some type of playoff rotation. I think Brad Stevens is prone to do something like that. He did play Terry Rozier and Jalen Brown early, even though uh, obviously Jalen Brown was a much higher pick. 
how far do you see the Celtics going with this roster as construed? Do you think they can max out this roster in in, in the road that you guys, uh, meaning Bobby and uh, you and Bobby earlier, talking about who exactly this Boston Celtics team is going to have to go through? Uh, how far can this roster take this Boston Celtics team this year? Yeah, real quick before I actually answer that. So Bob, I just got confirmation from the man himself, Bobby Manning. Uh, the deadline to sign players to be eligible for a playoff roster was March 1st. So we actually missed it by 10 days. So like Evan Turner, someone who was on a roster already, um, cannot be cut or waived or bought out and then re-signed to, yeah. to the Celtics or to any other team. Um, but a player like Jamal Crawford, who was not on a roster previously, can then be added to an, to an active roster, um, I believe, just because he was not on a, on a roster previously. So thank you, Bobby, for that uh, clarification. Um, the boss coming through. Now, yeah, exactly. Um, so now, to your, now more to your question, Nick. Um, yeah, it, it 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 really does kind of depend on you know who the Celtics face. I think if they get in that you know somehow get into that four to five seed bracket where they're playing Milwaukee in the second round, it obviously presents such a, such a tougher challenge than playing a team like Brooklyn in the first round and then maybe Indiana in the second round or Miami in the second round, um, you know, kind of being in that, in that Toronto or Milwaukee bracket just makes things so, so hard um, that it, 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 that's really the biggest challenge. And I think, you know, I do think teams kind of take that into account at the end of the season when they're, you know, when they're maybe, giving load management to a player that, that maybe should play in a game, something along those lines, you know, and, and he's not playing because, you know, maybe they want to strategically lose that game something like that. But, you know, like I said, very matchup based. Um, I do have confidence that the Celtics can beat pretty much anyone in the East in a playoff series. Like give me, you know, the magic and Nets definitely um, at this point, the, the, the magic are five and a half games up on the wizards. So I don't think, um, the Wizards will be making that up. So the Magic and Nets, definitely I'll take the Celtics in the series against those two. The 76ers is, is much more of a toss-up. I said earlier on the show, like um, today, uh, you know, talent tends to win out. Um, and at least that's how I view basketball a lot is, is the talent tends to win out. Um, so, you know, looking at obviously the Philadelphia 76ers, they are a very, very talented team. They do have their issues, um, which, you know, looking at it, sounds pretty familiar, a very talented team that has seemingly personnel and locker room issues and, and sort of, you know, just overall mind issues. Um, sounds kind of familiar, but um, I, I, I have confidence that the Celtics would at least, you know, put up a fight and definitely have a chance to win in a series like that. And then the Pacers and Heat, I also I have a very strong confidence level that the Celtics can beat those two teams in a playoff series. Um, so, like I said, very matchup dependent. If the Celtics can maintain that two-three slot with the Raptors, my uh, my my pipe dream of the Raptors falling to the fourth seed and the Celtics and Heat being the two-three seed is kind of at this point a little dead. So that's that's kind of <laughs> unfortunate. But um, <laughs> you know, you you do what you can do. But uh, other than that, yeah, it's it's. I, like I said, I, I believe that they could beat every team in the Eastern Conference in a playoff series. Um, it, it's definitely not out of the realm of possibility. Um, and to suggest otherwise, I think, would be a little silly just because, you know, they have proven that they can beat the Raptors in games. They've beaten the Milwaukee Bucks in a game already this season. You know, so it's, it's, it's matchup-based, but it's also that I, I do trust that the Celtics can beat any of these teams. And uh, speaking of the Milwaukee Bucks, they are the uh... – next team up on the Boston Celtics schedule. Um, and the game is in Milwaukee. That's this Thursday uh, at 8 o'clock, which means the post-game show will be at 10.30, usually two and a half hours after tip-off. So tune in at 10.30 uh, to the CLNS Media Boston Celtics post-game show. Any any last thoughts, any predictions for the upcoming game on Thursday? Big game for the Boston Celtics. I don't know if it changes – all that much for the standings, but, you know, the Celtics can use any win they can possibly get. I, I know we all tend to agree maybe the second seed is is a, is a stretch, but it's possible, but it's not out of, it's not completely out of reach, but it's a stretch. But maintaining that kind of third seed uh, and also, you know, getting a W over the, the number one team in the league uh, and number one team in the conference also, obviously, well, it would be a, a huge thing. What do you, you think is in store for the, the Celtics on Thursday? 
Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm looking forward to the game for sure. It's definitely going to be, you know, no matter how you look at it, it's going to be a very good game. Like, it's two of the top teams in the Eastern Conference playing against each other. So, definitely looking forward to it. I mean, I'm not sure is Giannis playing in the game. Um, I haven't really been following along with his injury. I know he didn't play last night, so I don't know if he's playing in this game. It would obviously be a little upsetting, you know, if he didn't play in this game, you, you'd want to see, you know, you'd want to see him play every game. But um, what about I'm just looking forward. Say again? What about Jalen? Is he playing? I'm not sure about that either. I got to be honest with you. I've been this this past week. I've only been kind of t- kind of following along a little less than I usually would be. I've been a little busy, uh, real life things. But well, well you know, I should know myself. <laughs> I'm, I'm not asking the question, you know, rhetorically. I don't know either, so <laughs> yeah. you don't have to explain. <laughs> um, but yeah, so like, it, I'm I'm just excited to see a, a good game, you know. I'd I'd like to see you know a, a a healthy Boston Celtics team you know go Boston yeah and, you know and 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 you know show show what they're you made of especially after this you know recent skid of you know unfortunate events and you know, I don't consider tonight you know anything that's soothing you know to to, to me it doesn't placate my fears about this team because they almost gave this one away as well after having a a, a significant <laughs> lead. Um, I have no further thoughts about this unless you have anything else you'd like to say. I'll wrap this one up for us, uh, uh, Jack. Awesome, yeah. I think that about does it. Awesome. Once again, the uh, Boston Celtics heading into uh, Bankers Life Fieldhouse in Indianapolis, winning 114-111 to over the Indiana Pacers, a potential, uh, according to one source, 30% likely matchup. Uh, to face the Indiana Pacers in the first round of the playoffs. You can catch us again at the CLNS Media Boston Celtics postgame show on Thursday, approximately 10.30. That's two and a half hours after tip-off as the Boston Celtics head into Milwaukee to take on the first-place Milwaukee Bucks. With that, thank you, everybody, for tuning in to tonight's episode of the CLNS Media Boston Celtics postgame show, your number one source for Boston Celtics information. This has been the Celtics Post Game Show on clnsradio.com. Thanks for listening. The Celtics might not be in action every day, but we are, so stay connected. Follow us on Twitter at CLNS Radio and check out our broadcast schedule for the best weekly sports podcasts on the web.